I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we will be there momentarily. And today we're going to take a bit of a different approach than we normally take. Usually we start with a passage and we work through the ideas that the passage presents. Today we're going to start with an idea and point to Scripture that, that uh, speaks into it. And the idea we're focusing on is something that, that uh, we all experience. There are obstacles that followers of Jesus encounter when we pursue Him. And these obstacles threaten to keep us from God's desires for us. And so today we're going to refer to them as strongholds. Strongholds are those things that, that threaten to keep us from God's desires for us. Maybe you've heard them called stumbling blocks or temptations, but sometimes they're more subtle than those types of things and, and more difficult to pin down. Sometimes they are perspectives. A stronghold can be anything that keeps us from adopting a kingdom perspective. A stronghold is, is an old lens through which we have learned to see those the world, our lives, our circumstances, and even the people around us. And so today we'll discuss strongholds, but we're also going to discuss what it means to be given a new mindset by Jesus. And this new mindset, we're going to call it a kingdom perspective or a kingdom mindset. And what I mean by that is that we adopt a new lens through which we see the world and our lives and our circumstances so that everything we're viewing is viewed according to the perspective of our king. And what we're actually talking about, in a lot of ways, is stewardship. God pours blessing onto his people, the blessing of salvation, of spiritual growth, of miracles, of provision, of knowing him. And the only way for us to be good stewards of those blessings is to live with gratitude toward the God who pours blessing after blessing out on our lives. It's to live with a kingdom perspective, which means that we are not overwhelmed by life's obstacles or our circumstances or challenges or frustrations, and instead we strive to see the world through the eyes of the King of Kings. When I was a kid, uh, one of the members of our church owned a small airplane. He was a pilot, and one year, one of the prizes for VBS was a plane ride. If you were there for all days of VBS, if you invited a friend, and if you memorized all of the passages, the memory verses that they had you memorize, you could earn a, a flight. And I was nine years old at the time, and I'd never been on a plane, and I was so determined to win that plane ride. And so I worked hard, and I memorized those verses, and I earned that prize. And I remember going up in that airplane, and the pilot asked where my house was, and he he was going to fly me over my home, and I remember looking out the window, and I could see my house down there, a little tiny house, and in the backyard, a little tiny playground, and I could even see a little tiny black speck that was my dog in the yard, and my entire house and my yard was so tiny, and I remember thinking, how can something so big when it is in front of you be so small from an airplane that, that change in perspective just was mind-blowing to me. Everything in my life, everything I knew was suddenly very, very small. A perspective makes a huge difference. Sometimes when life's circumstances are before us, they appear much bigger than they actually are if we were to look at those things from a distance, if we could only see through the eyes of God. 
who remembers the, the 3D comic books with the special anaglyph glasses, the red and blue tinted lenses? And you would put those on and all of a sudden your, your comic book was in 3D? Or sometimes they came in cereal boxes and you'd have to put them on in order to read a special encoded message. There are things in our lives, circumstances and events, and even our own purpose living for a living that can only be understood by putting on kingdom glasses, by adopting a kingdom lens. And just like those red and blue glasses, the kingdom mindset helps us to make sense of what is otherwise just chaos so that we can begin to grasp the truth of what is before us. Just like a view from an airplane, it offers us different perspective. A kingdom perspective or, or a kingdom mindset is a mind with one singular focus, and that is the king and his kingdom. You're facing difficulties. How will you glorify the king? What is the nature of the king in a time of difficulty? Or there is injustice in the world. How can you make the world more like his kingdom? Maybe you've been hurt. How did the king respond when he was hurt? How might he be calling you to do the same? A kingdom mindset is what God gives us when we surrender not just our hearts, but also our minds to him. When that happens, just like a view from an airplane, we're no longer under our circumstances, but over them. We're not whipped around by the things that life throws at us, and we're not defeated by life's challenges and difficulties and obstacles, or overwhelmed by the things of a broken world. Our circumstances don't overwhelm us or hold us hostage, because our mindset no longer starts with a perspective of defeat. We know Jesus, and so we know victory. A kingdom perspective tells us that we are no longer under our circumstances, but we are over them. David in Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David spoke these words, or maybe he sang these words, while he was surrounded by enemies waiting to attack him. They wanted to destroy him. They wanted to tear him apart. But David was not worried about the enemies around him. He was concerned with finding himself in the presence of God. He says in verse 4, One thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And in verse 6 he says, Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me. By all accounts, he was as good as defeated in that moment. He was outnumbered and outstrengthened, but he was in God's presence. And his eyes were not on his enemies, his eyes were above his enemies. Now my head is lifted up above all my enemies around me. He had the perspective that accompanies a kingdom mindset. Paul in Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. If your eyes are focused on your circumstances, well, your circumstances are bigger than you are. But if your eyes are focused on God, He is bigger than you and your circumstances. And we're facing a lot of undesirable circumstances. Are we keeping our eyes on our circumstances, or are we keeping our eyes on God? So we're going to look at two main passages today. The first we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll start there in verse 1. It says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you in a way. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. 
For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. First, I want to point out that that word argument in verse 5 is not about a dispute. Paul isn't talking about conflict. His purpose isn't to win a debate. Argument in this case is about a way of making a person's case or clarifying an idea or bringing light to an issue. And so I might stand before you today and say, uh, today I'm going to argue that every new Christian should first read the gospel according to John. And it's an argument, and you might disagree, and although I'm making my case, there's no back and forth dispute, no hostility. I, I won't take pleasure in making someone who disagrees look foolish. I'm just... I'm just presenting a case. Other translations, though, they say speculation. We destroy all speculations. Gossip, innuendo, suggestive speech. I've, I've learned something about gossip and innuendo and suggestive speech, and, and that it is, it is not the problem. It, certainly, it creates problems, but the problem is not gossip or that someone is speaking suggestively. People who, who gossip and slander, those are, those are symptoms of the problem. There are people who speak in suggestive ways. Often they're doing those things out of a judgmental heart. Those are not the problem themselves. Those are symptoms of a bigger problem. There is not room in our hearts for casting judgment upon our neighbor and loving them as Christ loves us. So if, if we find ourselves casting judgment on our neighbors, we ask the Lord to fill our hearts instead with love for them, love for our neighbors. Paul tells us, as Christians, we demolish speculations and pretensions. How do we do that? And Paul says, by taking every thought captive, by comparing each argument to the knowledge of God. Am I speaking truth in love? Do, does Jesus approve of these words that I'm saying? Is what I'm saying helpful for building up the body of Christ? And if the answer is no, we throw those thoughts out. We throw those words out. Does, it, does this way of thinking align with who we know God to be? If not, throw it out. If every thought does not align with the person of Jesus, cast it out. Why? Because as people who are walking in the way of Christ, we desire to live constantly with a kingly perspective. And so we steward over our minds. We guard our patterns of thoughts so that they produce worship. If a way of thinking or acting or behaving or interacting with others does not match the way that we know to be the character of Jesus or the way of his kingdom, we don't just decline to participate, we cast it out. And why do we do this? Uh, looking back at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, verse 3 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Just because the world is broken, that does not mean we act according to its brokenness. It doesn't mean that we respond to the world the way the world teaches us to respond. Jesus teaches us that rather than registering a blow in exchange for a blow, we are to turn the other cheek. And he says in verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world, human weapons. Gossip is a weapon, lies or unkindness or pointed words. 
unjust exercises of power, violence, or manipulation. Our weapons, says Paul, are not merely human weapons, but instead, he says, they have the power, divine power, to destroy strongholds. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. We cast out broken ways of thinking because broken ways of thinking are strongholds in our lives. And these strongholds war with the truth of God. These strongholds battle fiercely for our spiritual health. They want us to be sick, and Christ wants us to be whole. A stronghold is an embedded thought that we have allowed to formulate in our minds. Rather than casting it out, we have given it space to grow. We have fed it and watched it get stronger. A stronghold is a framework for understanding our circumstances that does not begin and end with Jesus. Strongholds are lies that we have believed and allowed allowed to become our operating truth. They're a mindset of hopelessness. They cause us to believe things that are contrary to God's will are unchangeable. That's just how they are. They cause us to say things like, I know that it's sin, but that's just the way the world is. What else is there to do? I most recently heard this from a young man who invited his girlfriend to move in with him. I said, you know that falls short of God's intentions for you. And he said, I know that, but that's just how the world is now. He was afraid that if he didn't take the next step that the world was expecting him to take, his girlfriend would be impatient and leave him. And so we thought his options were to obey God and lose his chance at this relationship or, or to sin because all options were bad. At least he got something out of this one. That is a stronghold. That's a way that society has taught us to justify sin. Whenever we are tempted to surrender to our circumstances because we have run out of hope, that's a stronghold. And so we say, until something beyond my control changes, it's hopeless. We might not say it, but we might act as if even God does not have power over our circumstances. We'll write it out until something changes or everything implodes. Strongholds keep us paralyzed and unable to move forward. And I want to tell you this morning, our circumstances don't need to change for God to be able to move in them and through them. We don't find ourselves in a hopeless position in this world if we have a kingdom mindset and if our mind is set to Jesus and his kingdom rather than to our circumstances. Jesus was breaking down strongholds when he said, if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. Even in his day, parents were teaching their children that playground logic. If someone hits you, hit them back. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. A stronghold is anything that gets between us and God's kingdom and causes us to give up hope in God's kingdom and victory or tells us that it's foolish to seek God's will or says to us, God may be leading you this way, but it will never work. God says, forgive your enemies. Well, that will never work. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Well, that will never work. That's a stronghold. Would you believe me if I told you that I could tell you God's will for your life today? Right? We spend so much time agonizing over this and praying over this. What is God's will for my life? And so would you believe me if I told you I could just tell you this morning? If, if in every situation... God's will for our lives is exactly the same. God never once tells us, I want my will to be done, but unfortunately, that's just the way the world is. The will of God is found in the prayer of Jesus. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Make this earth like your heaven. God's desire for you is that your desires would be aligned with his desires, that your ways would be aligned with the ways of Jesus, that your life would offer the world a glimpse of heaven, the heaven and earth would align. And so where there is darkness, cast it out. The kingdom of God pushes the kingdoms of darkness out and rules where darkness once was. And Paul's telling us, if you want a kingdom mindset, take every thought captive and compare it to the knowledge of God. Put those dark thoughts out. Judgment, unkindness, a sense of superiority, pride, envy, lust, competition, self-righteousness, shame and shaming, hatred and condescension and cynicism, arrogance. They have no place in the mind of a Christian. Let God's kingdom rule your heart and mind. Strongholds are the enemy of a kingdom mindset. We're going to look at another passage, Luke chapter 5. And at the end of this, uh, this chapter, Jesus is telling a parable. And so we'll read, starting in verse 37. It says, No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And after drinking old wine, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. So what is this new wine, first of all? We talked about it last week, didn't we? This, this reference isn't far from that one. New wine is the revelation of Jesus. It is a kingdom perspective. It's the words and the work of Christ. And the wineskin is our way of understanding. It's our perception of truth. The wineskin is our mindset. The new wine, this new revelation of Jesus, cannot be contained unless it is accompanied by new wineskins, a new way of perceiving the world, a new framework, a new heart, a kingdom perspective. We won't understand the words of Jesus unless we understand the mission of Jesus. And the mission of Jesus is your kingdom come, your will be done. Now think of Jesus. He's, he's going around and he's making lots of enemies. There are Pharisees and religious leaders who just cannot stand what Jesus is saying. Why do you think that is? It's because they're operating with old wineskins. They think they have God all figured out. And the new wine keeps bursting their old wineskins. And so when Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, the old wineskin says, hate your enemies and destroy those who oppose you. And it cannot handle that revelation. The old wineskin says, God will destroy those who oppose us. It just bursts at those words. I heard a Christian preacher say recently, all old revivals began, or ended. All old revivals ended because God moved differently than he had been moving. And the recipients of those revivals rejected the new wineskin, the new way the Holy Spirit was moving among them. By doing this, they quenched what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. And he's right. It's, it's rare that God does things just the same way twice. An outpouring of the Spirit cannot be packaged and reproduced. God pours himself out, not as we see fit, but according to his will. Not according to events that we plan out and assemble, but according to his own intentions. And so if we sang a, a, a bunch of songs last week and there was just a movement of the Holy Spirit and we all sensed it powerfully, 
Well, singing those same songs again this week does not guarantee anything. It does not obligate God to move in the same way. The movement of the Holy Spirit cannot be packaged. It can't be manufactured. But it can be stewarded over. We can be attentive and say, the Spirit was there and the Spirit blessed that. But today we're going to listen with fresh ears because God may be doing something new among us. If we can't do that, then we're going to find that the new wine is constantly bursting old wineskins. I described a number of ways we can understand a stronghold, but I want to give you one more. A stronghold is what we discover when we learn that somewhere along the line, faith stopped being a journey that is no longer marked by growth and discovery and celebration. And maybe you were once journeying with God, but at some point you stopped taking steps. Maybe it was complacency. Maybe you felt hurt. Maybe it was something else. And now you find yourself with a life that the Spirit isn't blessing. If you stop listening to God's Spirit, how far away does it get from you? How far does it journey away from you? If you walk away, how far apart on your journey can you make space between you and the Spirit of God? Well, the Spirit is with you. It does not go away, but it also isn't ever stationary. You don't have to scramble to catch up. You just have to recognize that the Spirit is movement. And if you've been stationary and you're looking for the Spirit, start moving again. Spend time in prayer and pick up your Bible and ask God to change your heart. Pursue Him again. And that is where you rediscover the power of His Spirit. A wineskin can be a stronghold. New wine must be placed in fresh wineskins which is why we have to continually develop a kingdom mindset. God wants to give us new wineskins, not just moments when we see God at work or revival because we feel like we've had a good service or two, but because we have developed a kingdom perspective. And everything we see, we see through the eyes of our king. We see potential. We see God moving. We see opportunities to grow and to serve and to love, to be shaped by him. Rather than being stuck with circumstances, we see another opportunity to experience God working in and through us. Revelation 12 tells us that we must not be conformed to this world, but what? Transformed. Transformed by the renewing of our minds. Religious leaders were in conflict with Jesus because their wineskins had become strongholds over them. And if we don't develop a kingdom perspective, we will only get in Jesus' way. We're going to look at one final passage, backing up to the beginning of Luke chapter 5. We'll read the first 11 verses. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to pull out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let, the nets, let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, he caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. 
When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Think about these fishermen at the end of their day. They're tired. They're worn out. They're washing their nets. They're discouraged by a bad day of fishing. My dad used to say all the time, a bad day of fishing beats a good day at work. But for these fishermen, fishing was work. That was their livelihood. A bad day was draining and discouraging and, and exhausting. And so when Jesus says, go out and cast your nets again, well, these guys are not excited. In fact, they're probably frustrated. Who is this rabbi to, to act like he knows about fishing? He's trained in scripture. We're trained in fish. Stick to what you know, man. He, he's telling us what to do with fishing nets, to cast them out after we've just washed them. But listen to what Jesus says. He says, put out into the deep water. This word we translate as deep is the Greek word bathos, and it means profound. There's a double meaning in there. It's talking about the mysterious nature of God. Jesus is saying to Simon, if you're going to follow me, we've got to get out of the shallow end and enter into the depths. We have to get into the deep waters. A stronghold is an enemy of a deeper faith. It can prevent us from praising the God who lavishes blessing after blessing upon us. We are called to go deeper and deeper. As followers of Jesus, we have to move out of the shallow end and into spiritual depth. And I want to be clear, deep does not have to mean complicated. It doesn't mean academic. You don't need a degree or, or a 4.0 GPA. Spiritual depth is not a complicated thing to figure out. It is trust. It is truth. It's, it's faith. It's reliance. It's experiential knowledge because we have stood in the presence of God and come to know him. As believers, we have to be moving out of the shallow end and into new spiritual depths. That is a kingdom mindset. It's a desire that resides within us to go deeper and deeper still and deeper still to press in to Jesus and to know him more and to desire him more. And it doesn't matter how deep you've gone, there is always deeper to go. That's a kingdom mindset. That's a heart bent on spiritual maturity. Keep pressing, keep seeking, keep desiring to know him more. In verse 4, Jesus says, go to the deep waters. And in verse 5, Simon answers him. Scripture says, Simon answers him. And I don't know if you noticed this, but go deeper is not a question. Jesus is not asking Simon a question, but Simon answers him all the same. Go into the world? Make disciples? Heal the sick? Proclaim release to the captives? Preach the gospel to all nations? These are not questions. These are mandates. These are, these are Jesus telling his people what to do. I want to be at the place with Jesus. I, I want us all to be there. I want to be at the place with Jesus where Jesus says, do this, and I just say, yes, Lord. I don't have to answer him. I just say, yes, Lord. Simon answers Jesus saying, it doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't have to make sense. 
that doesn't matter. I want to be at the place with Jesus where I don't have to see the results on the other side of it in order for me to say yes to his instructions. Jesus says, go deeper. Yes, Lord. Press forward in your faith. Yes, Lord. Take up your cross and follow me. Yes, Lord. Yes, not because it makes sense in my eyes, but because I have heard your voice and I want to be obedient. Simon's wineskin said, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. We just got done washing our nets. His wineskin says, Jesus, you don't get it. We've already done that. We're exhausted from my experience, from my perspective. In my opinion, according to my circumstances, none of this will make a difference. That's a stronghold. Our circumstances must not become a stronghold through which we determine our obedience. Our circumstances may not change, but it doesn't matter. Press in, draw near, go deeper. Simon was reluctant, but he obeys Jesus. Imagine what his friends on that boat were saying. Are you kidding me? You're going to let the rabbi tell you how to fish? That guy's never held a fishing net in his life. He's, you're going to let him tell you how to operate your crew, how to run your boats? Sometimes even our friends can keep us in bondage. Don't let their old wineskin keep you from receiving new wine. Simon obeyed Jesus. They caught so many fish that their nets began to burst. And as their nets broke, so did the old wineskins. Until Simon fell at Jesus' feet and the disciples left everything behind and followed him. I don't know what strongholds you're facing today. But I want to encourage you to look deep inside yourself today and confess in your heart anything that needs to be surrendered or cast out and turn these strongholds over to Jesus that that might be replaced with a kingdom perspective. Maybe you need to ask for chains to be broken, for strongholds to be surrendered. Maybe, maybe it's time to take those first steps into deeper waters. Or maybe it's time to just say your next yes to Jesus today. Whatever you're calling me to do, Lord, the answer is yes. The new wine of the Holy Spirit requires new wineskins. The instruction of Jesus requires us to say yes. How are you being invited to say yes today? Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we pray this morning that our desires would match your desires. That when you call us, our answer to you would be, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, use me, Lord, send me, Lord. Yes, Lord. The prayer today would be that we would not be captive to our circumstances, but that we would anticipate your movement in them and through them remembering that you are a redeemer of all things. Give us a perspective, Lord, to see blessing in times of difficulty, to seek you out when circumstances are unfavorable, not waiting on our circumstances to change, but anticipating a fresh movement of your spirit.
pray, Lord, that our desires would match your desires. Teach us to love as you love. Make the prayer of Jesus our prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, if there is something that we are clinging on to today, something unsurrendered, we pray that you would reveal it to us and that we would place it at your feet. Give us a perspective that is higher than our circumstances. Teach us to see you with the eyes of our King. Our trust is in you, Lord. And we give you praise this morning. Amen.